voices of your children. And so, Lord, we come now and ask once again for your spirit to teach our hearts. We want to walk with you in wisdom. We want to know the goodness of the Lord all of our days. And so, Lord, would you be with John as he brings the word of God to us. Accomplish your work for your glory. This ask, we ask as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Uh, friends, we're in for a real treat uh, this morning. We have a guy that I've known for quite a few years. I consider him one of my mentors. Uh, he's had a rather interesting career, even been a professional baseball player, and that'll become apparent to you when you see John standing up here. But currently, he serves with Crew Ministries, and he trains spiritual leaders all throughout Eastern Europe and Russia. John is one of those frontline soldiers, goes places that you and I don't think about very often and could probably never get into. And yet God is doing a significant work in, these, in this part of the world. And a big part of that is because of the man you're going to meet right now, John Henderson. So John, do you want to come up here? He's got an hour and a half message, so get your seatbelts in. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thank All right, you. good to have you. Well, I do bring you greetings from the saints who are in Eastern Europe and Russia, brothers and sisters of yours who you do not know, but one day you will. The uh, gospel is well and alive in Eastern Europe, and it is my great privilege to spend a lot of time in that part of the world uh, proclaiming uh, the message of Jesus and uh, discipling and training and coaching pastors and missionaries in that part of the world to reach that part of the world. And so I send you greetings from them, and it's probably my greatest joy. One of the things I think about what I do is I think of myself as the servant to the servants of God in Eastern Europe and Russia. And I love that role. Causes great joy in my life, and uh, as does being here with you this morning, it's always a joy for me to be back here at Fellowship, um, and the honor it is for me to open up God's Word and to lead our study this morning. We're going to be in uh, Proverbs chapter 2. I know that Grant's told me that you all have been sort of pursuing a study in the area of wisdom, and so I'm uh, very pleased to be able to add my contribution from Proverbs 2. Uh, on this study of wisdom. So we're going to be in the first 10 verses of Proverbs chapter 2. The title I've given to this part of Scripture is the posture that is required for a person who wants to acquire wisdom. And by that word posture, I mean the approach, the attitude that's, that's necessary for a person who wants to become wise. Before we start in chapter 2, I want to pick up in chapter 1 a couple of verses just as kind of a lead-in. And in Proverbs 1, verse 20, Solomon says this, Wisdom shouts in the streets. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. And at the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love simplicity? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Those verses tell us that wisdom is shouting in the streets. It is crying out in the squares and at the city gates. And so one of the conclusions I come to, and we'll kind of 
come back and hit this a few times this morning. Wisdom is not hiding. It is in plain view. But things are complicated in our world sometimes. We live in a time where there is an overwhelming flood of information that is dominated by 30-second sound bites and video clips and snippets of editorial spin that are designed to give us the impression that we're well-informed when we're really not. An endless chatter from countless number of media and digital outlets coming at us from all directions. And at least for me, much of this information I neither want nor need. But it's calling to me. And it's calling to me all the time, and it's calling to me from all directions in a never-ending, relentless barrage of notifications that beep and sing and vibrate at me 24-7. Information? It's not our problem. Our problem is the ability to acquire wisdom. And those are not the same. When we talk about biblical wisdom, biblical wisdom is the ability to judge correctly between things that matter. To judge correctly, for example, between what is true and what is false. To be able to judge correctly between what is real and what is fake. Or to be able to judge between what has eternal value and what is only temporal. Wisdom is the ability to judge correctly between those things. And that ability enables you and I to live and make decisions based on the ultimate meaning and purpose of life. Now the opposite to this is the fool. The fool is one who cannot judge between these things. And therefore, in their life and the decisions that they make, they do and live and make decisions ignoring the ultimate meaning and purpose in life. And one of the great truths that's being lived out before our very eyes is that information does not translate into wisdom. They're not the same. So while there are tremendous benefits to the information that's available to us, for example, on the Internet, there are also unintended consequences of this age we live in. I read some of the writings of a man uh, recently named Nicholas Carr. Nicholas Carr is a researcher and a writer specifically in the field of how technology impacts culture. He was a Pulitzer Prize runner-up. At one point, he was editor of Encyclopedia Britannica. He went to Dartmouth. He went to Harvard. Okay, he's a brainy guy. And in this article that I ran across, the title was this. Is Google making us stupid? That was a catchy title. 
read this article. And he's using Google as a catch-all term for all of the Internet. Here's a couple of things he says in this article. The Internet is chipping away at our capacity to concentrate and contemplate. Referring to himself, he says, My mind now expects to take information in in the same way that the Internet distributes it in a swiftly moving stream of never-ending particles. He says, I once thought of myself as a scuba diver, exploring, unrushed in the sea of words. He says, now I liken myself to a guy on a jet ski, zipping along the surface at neck break speed, noticing nothing of the beauty below, but all the while trying to figure out how to go faster. That's an interesting comparison, isn't it? Scuba diver, jet skier. They're both fun. But I would propose to you that what wisdom requires is that we slow down. And that perhaps the scuba diving approach is more profitable than the jet ski approach. Wisdom is not hiding. It's in plain view. But because our view is so cluttered by endless streams of voices that give us the impression that wisdom is hiding, it's not. It's shouting in the streets. It's crying out at the city gates. This is one of the very consistent messages of Proverbs. It's not hiding. It's right out there in plain view. In Proverbs chapter 2, we have what we call a uh, conditional clause or a conditional line of thinking. And it, it's an if-then phrase. So there's going to be an if these things are true, then these things will be true. And so look at chapter 2, verse 1. Read the first four verses. My son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you, and if you'll make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding, and if you cry for discernment and lift your voice for understanding, and if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, and I'm going to stop right there. And that should kind of make you mad. Because I haven't got to the then yet. The other foot hasn't come down. But we're going to stop right here. Because I want to pick apart a little bit this if part of the chapter. And we'll get to the then. But let's start by diving in a little bit more in detail with the if portion of this line of instruction. In those first four verses, there are eight verbs. And I think those eight verbs create or define a posture or an approach or an attitude that is necessary for a person who wants to become wise. And so the first verse and the first verb is that you will receive my sayings. Receive them. 
And the first thing that that should tell us or the observation we should make is that wisdom does not originate with me or you. It originates with God. If I have any wisdom, it's because I got it from him. And if someone sees someone who's wise, if you see someone think, wow, that's a wise person, I can tell you one thing I guarantee, they weren't born that way. Nobody's born with wisdom. They get it along the way. There's a friend that is a mutual friend of Grant and I. His name is Sam, and Sam for many, many years served as a uh, a school principal in a Christian school that was a part of a church where we both administered and went to. His name was Sam. And as I started to observe Sam, I started observing some amazing wisdom come out of his mouth. Now, I can imagine that being a principal of a school, even a Christian school, has all kinds of challenges and delicate things that have to be navigated. You're dealing with teachers. You're dealing with students. You're dealing with parents. And everybody's got their own view and their opinions. And I would consistently watch Sam in some of these very potentially divisive conversations, and I would watch him drop pearls of wisdom into these conversations. And I was so impressed. I had such respect for Sam. Well, later I'm talking to some guys who had known Sam a lot longer than I had. And I was telling him how much I, I respected and admired him. And he said, well, you, you know where his wisdom came from. I said, well, yeah, God. And that's you know, always the answer. He said, well, yes, but Sam has chapter by chapter memorized the book of Proverbs. There you go. It all makes sense now. As he's dropping these little pearls of wisdom, they came from somewhere. And not only did they come from Proverbs, but he had so allowed Proverbs to richly dwell within him that they would come out of his mouth regularly. Sam was not born with wisdom. He acquired it along the way. And so I would propose this in terms of posture number one. What is required for someone who wants to become wise is that we realize we are not the source of wisdom. Got it. You got to start there. Now there's another verb in verse 1, and it's treasure. He says, one of the other things that you must do is treasure my commandments. And, and treasure has the idea of, of uh, the, the value that we attribute to something. And in this case, it's the value that we attribute to God and to his word. And he says, if it is valuable, then you will treasure it. It's like the parable of the lost coin where the woman loses a coin and immediately puts her entire life on hold and gets a broom and starts spending the whole house and brings friends in to try and find the coin. Why? Because the coin was so valuable. And she altered her entire routine in order to find that which was lost because of its value. That's what it means to treasure something. To reorder one's life in order to pursue something of great value. So posture two, I would propose to you of those who desire to acquire wisdom is that we be willing to lay aside lesser things and pursue the treasures of God. 
There's a third verb and starts in verse two. And the word is make your ear attentive. Make your ear attentive. And the first thing that that tells me in order to make my ear attentive, I have to close my mouth. Because when I'm talking, my ears don't hear very well. And so there is a sense here in which there is a strain of the ear to hear because there is an expectation, there is a the anticipation that what someone is saying, oh, I want that. It's valuable. Years ago, when I was a kid, there was a series of commercials by a investment firm called E.H. Hutton. E.F. Hutton. Anybody Anybody remember this? What was the tagline to every one of these commercials? You remember? When E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. When I was studying this week, I thought, I can't believe that popped into my head. I, I, never, I can't even tell you when I thought that. But I found one of those old commercials. Jack, can you cue it up for us? Now that looks like a very interesting situation. My broker's really enthusiastic about it. What is your broker, Jack? Well, my broker is E.F. Hutton, and E.F. Hutton says... When E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. Isn't that great? And they have, all, they have like ones there in the restaurant, you know, and there's music and people are talking and the guy leans over and says, well, my broker is E.F. Hutton and E.F. Hutton says, and now like all, everything stops, music stops, talking stops, and everybody's leaning in to hear, what does E.F. Hutton say? Ought that not to be our response to God? There's nobody who has anything more significant to say than God. And I ought to be leaning in. I ought to be inclining my ear to listen. Jesus used this phrase all the time when he was speaking and teaching. Uh, he's he's uh, contributing truth. He's communicating the, the wisdom. The kingdom is coming. And he knows when he's speaking in a group that there's some over here who are interested. They're seeking. There's some who are skeptics. And there's some they don't believe. And they're just scoffers. And he would constantly use this phrase. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The wisdom's here. It's in plain view. It's up to you as to whether you have ears or not to hear it. So if we understand that God's word is a treasure and we will strain our ears to listen and we approach it with expectation, with anticipation, because with God, there's always more. And I think this, um, this quality of expectation and anticipation, I think when we start to lose that, it is the beginning of the death of spiritual vitality. And I would say the slide can kind of go like this, that it might start with a little bit of a loss of anticipation. And when I start to lose my anticipation when I come here, I also then begin to lose my expectation that God is going to speak to me. He's going to minister to me. That, that what is here is what I need. And if I lose that expectation, then that expectation produces a weakened faith in me. Where I'm not trusting God with as much as perhaps I have in the past. And then with that weakened faith, often comes increased doubt. And doubt sends us in a downward spiral 
and increased doubt often creates pessimism, and pessimism creates cynicism. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be a cynic. I don't want to be a guy who walked with God for 10 or 20 years, and in the last 10 or 20 years was just an old cynic. I don't want to be that guy. And so the key, at least one of the keys to that, is that we keep approaching God with anticipation and expectation that he has something for me. And that would be how I would phrase posture number three in terms of of wanting to become wise, that we would pursue God and his wisdom with expectation and with anticipation. There is a fourth verb in verse two, and it's incline your heart, incline. It is the opposite of leaning back. So this is not inclined. This is recline. And I like the recline in my reclining. But that is not this. This is on the edge of your seat. This is leaning forward. This is leaning in to something. And he says, incline your heart. It is to live with intentionality and purpose in our pursuit of God. Most of us have good intentions. But fewer of us are good at being intentional. And that's the idea of taking action. It's the opposite of being lazy. Proverbs 132 says, It is the complacency of fools that will destroy them. The complacency. And so posture four that I would propose to you is to be intentional about pursuing God's wisdom. To lean in to God and His Word. In verse 3, there's a couple of verbs there. One of them is cry for discernment, and the other one is lift your voice for understanding. Crying out is a sign of desperation. It's a sign of neediness. It's a sign of helplessness. When babies cry, they are expressing those things. For us, I want to say a sentence. And I'm going to put two words in this sentence that we don't normally put in the same sentence. We don't put these two words anywhere close to each other. But I think it's absolutely true. The sentence is this. Desperation is a gift. Desperation or brokenness is a gift when it leads a person to stop trusting and relying on their own knowledge and ability and their self-sufficiency, and it drives them to depend on the Lord. That's why desperation is a gift. That's what it's intended to create in us. C.S. Lewis says, unless you know that God is immeasurably superior to you, and therefore you know yourself as nothing in comparison to Him, you do not know God. As long as a person considers himself competent, he cannot know God and he cannot acquire wisdom. 
And so the fifth posture that I would propose to you would be we must acknowledge our need and pursue the one who has all wisdom for every aspect and circumstance of my life. In verse 4, there's a couple of verbs. Seek for her as silver. Search for her as hidden treasures. You know that Proverbs is constantly contrasting the foolish person to the wise person. Proverbs 12.15 says, The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to counsel. And so here's one of the differences between the fool and the wise person. The wise person is aware that they don't know everything they need to know. And so they seek out wisdom and counsel from others. The foolish person is supremely confident that they know everything that needs to be known and sets out armed with only that knowledge. One of the differences between the fool and the wise person. Ecclesiastes 7.12 says, The advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of the one who possesses it. Wisdom preserves us. It guards us. If I don't want to be a fool, and I understand that it's, it's God's word that, that makes me wise, and that it's his wisdom that preserves my soul, then I will seek after that wisdom as silver, and I will go after it as a hidden treasure, because wisdom is never acquired by accident. It's acquired by those who seek it out. They are the ones who find it. So posture number six is be a student of the Bible. Learn to feed yourself from this book. D.L. Moody once said, there's a great need for Christians to learn to feed themselves. How many there are who sit helpless with open mouths, hungry for spiritual food, and the minister has to try to feed them. While the Bible is a feast already prepared, into which they never venture. And he says, so few grow because so few feed. I want to introduce you to a young man named Zamir Mingos. Zamir's Albanian. I met him last January. Zamir uh, grew up as a Muslim and, in fact, was being equipped and trained and discipled to be a teacher of the Quran. He was a imam in his local mosque, a worship leader. He was the guy that was in the top of the minaret singing out the calls to prayer. That was Zamir. 
But there were some struggles going on in Zamir's heart because what he longed for was a personal connection with God, a personal relationship that he was not experiencing. And as he would talk to his teachers about this lack of personal connection with God, he really got no satisfactory answers except that, well, that's what you will experience once you get to paradise. Right now you disobey. And he was trying to obey. He was trying to be faithful but it was nagging at him. His third year in university, he bumps into one of our missionaries and they have a gospel conversation. Good conversation, but nothing particularly earth-shattering happens, but he was given a Bible. He'd never had a Bible, never read one. And so over the next year, half a year, he reads the New Testament. Now he's unfolding this story to me last January when I met him. He said, John, when I, when I read through the New Testament, I got to the end and I thought, it just feels like there's something more here. Like maybe I didn't get everything the first time through. So he said, I read it a second time. And he said he got to the end of the second time of reading the New Testament and the power of the Holy Spirit took the, the power of the Word of God and brought him to a conclusion that the God that this Bible is talking about actually is the one true God. And that there is a way to have a personal connection with him through his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for his sins, and he gave his life to Christ. Now, Zamir's father and brothers hate him. All of his friends from his faith hate him. In fact, he got was starting to get threats. He He now is living in Skopje, Macedonia, which is where I met him in January. Not in Albania, but in Macedonia, I think in part because of his safety. But he's there with great faith and great passion because he wants to introduce other Muslim people to the faith in Jesus Christ that he found. And so he's doing this in places like Macedonia and Kosovo and Serbia and Montenegro. He wants them to know and find what he has found. And then he said, you know, John, a couple of months ago, so this was last January, so that would have been sometime last fall. He said, I found out that my teacher in the Islam faith had left Albania, had gone to Syria, had joined ISIS, and was killed in a suicide bombing. And there are tears in his eyes, and he said, that was my destiny. That's where I would have ended up. And instead, he is reveling in the amazing grace of God that he feels has just been lavished upon him to open his eyes and heart to the truth. This is a young man who sought out God. This is a young man who studied his word and he found wisdom. And it's radically changed his life. Okay, so we've unpacked the if of the first four verses. Those who want to cultivate the right posture, the right approach, if you realize that you are not the source of wisdom, but God is. If you are willing to put aside lesser things in order to pursue the treasures of God's wisdom. If you are able to pursue it with expectation and anticipation, if you're willing to be intentional, if you acknowledge your need, if we become a student 
and a self-feeder of the word, then some things will happen. Let's look at verse 5. Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. You will discern the fear of the Lord and you will discover the knowledge of God. Um, You know this phrase, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's like all over Proverbs. But sometimes that can be a little confusing for us because like, don't, am I supposed to be like afraid or feared of God? Like if I'm in a haunted house and I kind of walk around a dark corner and there's kind of like a little ghost coming up. <gasps> oh. No, 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 that's not what it's talking about. No, in fact, if you want a definition that Proverbs provides about what the fear of the Lord is, you can go to 8.13. Because Proverbs 8.13 gives us at least one definition of the fear of the Lord, and it's the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, to hate pride and arrogance and every evil way. So when we talk about what this fear of the Lord means, it is to be humble before him. It is to show him reverence. It is to show him respect. It is to show him honor. As opposed to being stiff-necked and arrogant. That's why it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Because he's the one that's got the wisdom. So if I come to the one who has the wisdom and I'm totally self-sufficient, thank you very much, and I'm arrogant and I'm stiff-necked, you're not going to find wisdom. But if I come respecting and honoring and giving reverence and humbly, that's why that is the beginning of wisdom. Because we place ourselves in the receiver position. Verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth came knowledge and understanding. He's simply clarifying again for us that God is the originator of wisdom, not you. Verse 7, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. So when the wisdom of God that he abundantly provides is in our lives, it serves as a shield around me by those who acquire it and by those who live by it, there is a protective shield. Verse 8, guarding the paths of justice and he preserves the way of his godly ones. Our paths will be guarded. Our paths will be preserved. There is an activity that goes on when wisdom is mine or when it's yours and there is a guarding, and there is a preserving, and there is a protection that takes place. Verse 9, Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. Basically, you will be able to discern between right and wrong. Our world is so messed up today. Right and wrong? There are things that are right that are being called wrong. There are things that are wrong that are being called right. Who's to figure it out? It's already been figured out. It's right here. And the wisdom that we acquire is the kind of wisdom then that gives us discernment about what's right and what's wrong. And then verse 10, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. When that wisdom of God that he abundantly provides and so richly lavishes and it's out there, it's available for us, when it begins to be part of who we are, 
it is pleasant to our souls, and wisdom strengthens our souls. And why does that matter? Why is that so important? Well, because it's my contention that the quality of our life is far more determined by the, um, the well-being of my soul than it is by my circumstances. I know that I always like to quickly go to circumstance and say, well, if this hadn't happened, then I would have been different. No. The majority of the quality of our life is not determined by circumstances. It's determined by the well-being of our souls because it is the condition of the well-being of our soul that strengthens me and gives me God's perspective when I'm in the midst of trials, when I'm in the midst of confusing circumstances, when I'm in the midst of suffering, when I'm in the midst of temptation, it is the well-being of my soul that preserves me through those kinds of journeys. And I'm not a victim to my circumstances. Church, our lives will be shaped by one of two things. Our lives will be shaped either by God and His wisdom or it will be shaped by our current culture. Those are the choices. And so it's not merely about, well, wisdom would be a nice thing. Wisdom is what our soul needs in order to sustain and be persevering and enduring the days that we have on this earth. And our life will either be shaped by this or it will be shaped by the current culture around us. Those are the choices. That's why Paul says, speaks to the believers in Rome and he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our minds are renewed by this book. That's where our minds get transferred, transformed. And wisdom is not hiding. It's in plain view. Even though the landscape can feel cluttered. What's our need? What's our exhortation? What's our response? Get ourselves in the right posture. Get ourselves in the right place, the right state of mind, the, the right spiritual position to pursue and receive from God. And then go get the wisdom because it's not hiding. God bless you and let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I humbly come before you thanking you, praising you that you have taken the initiative with us in so many ways. Creation screams of a creator. You sent your Son, Jesus Christ. You've given us your written word. You've given us your Holy Spirit. Father, thank you because it is the result of your initiative with us that we know things that we couldn't know any other way. You're so good and so generous. Thank you for taking the initiative for us even when we weren't looking for that. Father, we want to tell you this morning that we love you. But even when we say that, we recognize we can only say that because you first loved us. And I pray for each one of us here this morning that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, I ask that by your Holy Spirit you would take your word 
and that you would speak uh, exactly into each heart here, exactly the message, the next step, what is needed. Lord, we all need to continue in our journey of becoming more conformed to the image of your Son. And thank you that you're committed to that. And we want to participate with you in that process for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, John. Well, we are going to have the privilege of partaking in communion here. And what we'd like to do is just, we've just heard about wisdom and how important it is. Colossians tells us that all wisdom is fully encompassed and embodied by Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to do is just to ask you to take this as a time for worship, for prayer, for reflection and confession, asking God for his wisdom for your life and your situation. And the men are going to pass out the elements in just a few minutes. We're going to share and partake in this together. Now, the Bible warns if you're not a true believer in Christ, that you shouldn't actually partake in this. What you want to do is at this point, put your trust and faith in him. So the men will pass out the elements and we'll share in this together.
is always a very special time in the life of the church because it's a time where we think deeply about Jesus, about who he is, why he's come, and the forgiveness and salvation that is accomplished through his death and resurrection. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And he's coming back. Let's pray. Lord, how good it is for us to come and gather with your people and to worship you. And we realize that you who have sent your son the first time, why he is returning. He wants us to live in the gospel reality of salvation and to walk in your wisdom, the wisdom of the Lord. So help us to be a reality for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> 